We have God the Son, God incarnate, walking on the planet, speaking amazing words of life, performing signs and miracles and wonders, in this case, casting out demons. And they are so adamantly opposed to him. They are so malicious toward him. They reject him so coldly, maliciously, that all they can come up with is, he's working for the devil. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, meaning you guys have just blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, whoever does that never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So what is the unpardonable sin? It is having the most clear powerful revelation, shining of light, the gospel, truth about Jesus Christ beaming into your eyes. Like there could never be a greater manifestation of God's truth and glory to you than you've already received. And what do you do? You maliciously reject it. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church here in Joppa, Maryland. Today's topic is about this verse, 1 John 5, 16, and it reads, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Hmm, 1 John 5, 16. There is sin that leads to death, what's that? And I do not say that one should pray for that. Thought we should pray for anything always at all times, 1 John 5, 16. So what's that? That's what we're talking about today. Let me tell you why we're talking about that today. So this is not from a listener question, a listener to Grounded. This is from a listener question in a service at Cornerstone Community Church. Here's how that came about. A little bit of backstory, hang with me. So in January, on January 1st of 2021, New Year's Day, that was church, that was a Sunday, and I preached that morning off-topic, out-of-series, a one-off message on sola scriptura, the Bible only is our authority for everything. And as one of the applications, I was suggesting various approaches to Bible reading to our people, and one of those approaches was, why don't you take a book of the Bible and read it a bunch of times, like I suggested, read it for 30 days straight. Every day, read the whole book for 30 days. Pick a little book. Don't pick Romans or Hebrews. Well, a number of our people did, though every single one of them who told me about it picked two weeks. They took a book and read it every day for two weeks, which is great. Bless you for doing that. One lady in our church said to me a couple weeks later, uh, hey, I, I just read through 1 John every day for two weeks, and I feel like I'm really understanding that book like I've never understood it before. But what in the world is that part near the end in chapter 5 about some sin unto death? And then as the conversation went, she kept talking about things, and we never got to come back and answer that question. So today we're answering that question. What is it? the sin that leads to death. Let me read you the longer, a little bit broader podcast or context, 1 John 5, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, 
not leading to death. So apparently there's, you could see your brother committing a sin that's leading to death. We're not talking about that one. We're talking about if you see your brother committing a sin, and here's the qualification on that sin, it's not leading to death, then what do you do in that circumstance? He shall ask for that brother, and God will give him life, and then he requalifies it, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So, all right, there's that. So you see your brother committing a sin, and you judge that's not the sin to death. So I'm going to really pray for him, and I'm going to minister to him, and God will give him life. That's, that's a sin that does not lead to death. But then it goes on, and it says, there is, we might put in the word, however, there is sin that leads to death. Oh, man, I want to know what that is. And what kind of death is that even talking about? Does that mean like physical death, or is it eternal spiritual death? There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. By the way, notice he's not saying don't pray for that. He's not saying you can't pray for that, but he's just qualifying, I do not say that one should pray for that. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So that's what we're into. That's what this lady was asking me about. What do those verses mean? And specifically, what is this sin that leads to death? Well, to cut right to the chase, this is what Jesus talks about when he talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You remember he says all manner of blasphemy can be forgiven. You can even blaspheme the Father. You can even blaspheme the Son. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness for that. That is what we call the unpardonable sin. That is what he called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Our text, 1 John 5, is talking about that thing. So let's look again at some of what's in the text. If anyone sees his brother, so this person is a brother. He's your brother. He's a Christian. He's in Christ. If you see him committing a sin not leading to death, pray for him, ask, God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So that's a brother. The next person he does not call a brother. He says, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. He doesn't call that person specifically a brother. And furthermore, the death here is spiritual death. We know that because the word death is used a couple times earlier in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So death in 1 John is spiritual death. You're not saved. You're not a believer. You're going to hell. You're not going to heaven. And I believe, and responsible commentators seem to believe, we plug that back into 1 John 5. There's a sin that leads to death, to eternal death, to going to hell, not going to heaven. So, oh man, I want to know what that is. Well, this is the unforgivable sin that Jesus warns us about. Now we're going to turn to Mark 3 and see what that is. So in Mark 3, we're very very early on in the Lord's ministry. But man, he's preaching up a storm, and people are gathering to him, and they're coming from far and wide, and he's visiting towns and cities. He's performing miracles. He's speaking as no man ever spoke before. Um, He's got signs and wonders, miracles, I already mentioned that. So he is pouring out blinding light, and he's God in human flesh, standing on the planet, speaking to people. And what do some of them do? Here it is, Mark 3, 22. 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And they were saying, By the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Whoa. So again, what do we have here? We have God the Son, God incarnate, walking on the planet, speaking amazing words of life, performing signs and miracles and wonders, in this case, casting out demons. And they are so adamantly opposed to him. They are so malicious toward him. They reject him so coldly, maliciously, that all they can come up with is, he's working for the devil. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, meaning you guys have just blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, whoever does that never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So what is the unpardonable sin? It is having the most clear, powerful revelation, shining of light, the gospel, truth about Jesus Christ, beaming into your eyes. Like There could never be a greater manifestation of God's truth and glory to you than you've already received. And what do you do? You maliciously reject it. So bad that in this case, they said, that's the devil. That's the devil. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus say? They're guilty of an eternal sin, meaning they'll never come to Christ. They'll never believe. Their hearts are so hardened, they're not going to turn. And God's not going to overcome the hardness of their hearts and draw them. He's going to leave them to their own desires and their own hard hearts. There's no turning. So that's the unpardonable sin. And again, I think that's what First John is talking about when it says there's a sin that leads to death, eternal death. I do not say one should pray for that. It's not like, okay, if you were there that day and Jesus is beaming messianic light like the planet has never seen before, and all the Pharisees have to say is he does that by the power of the devil, should you say, oh, I'm going to pray for those Pharisees that they'll be saved? Well, you could pray for them if you want to. He doesn't forbid you to, but they're not going to be saved. They're never turning. They're not coming to Christ. So John says, I do not say that one should pray for them. I do not say that one should pray for that. So if John was standing there with you, with Jesus, with those Pharisees that day, John might have said to you, look, I'm not going to try and tell you to pray for them because they're beyond hope. They're guilty of an eternal sin, malicious rejection of ginormous illumination from the Son of God himself. Now, some people say only those first-generation people, when Jesus was here on the planet, only they would possibly, could possibly commit this unpardonable sin because only they had that kind of revelation, that kind of light, the presence of the Son of God, incontrovertible miracles being performed, demons cast out, words of life and all that. Only they experienced what they experienced, and so only they could be this culpable at saying, he and his teaching come from the devil. All right, I can see why some people would say that. However, I think the unpardonable sin makes another appearance in the book of Hebrews, 
And it's not just Pharisees staring in the eyes of Jesus who are capable of committing it. It's other believers who received, ma- or other non-believers, really, pardon me, who received massive revelation, massive illumination, massive light, who one time identified themselves with Christ, said, he's my God, my Savior, my King, my Lord, and then turned away. And the author's going to say, it's impossible to get that kind to come back. Let me read you some of it. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately, let's pause there. What is he talking about? He's not saying if you deliberately tell a lie. Hey, guess what? Christians can tell lies. Guess what? Every one of them is deliberate. If deliberate sin means any sin you commit deliberately, we're all doomed, my friends. So when he says, if we go on sinning deliberately, there's a context. There's a specific sin he's talking about, and the sin is rejecting Christ. You'll see. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, listen now, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What's that mean? Look, if you're rejecting the one-time sacrifice of God the Son on Calvary's cross for sinners, where else are you going to turn? Where else? What other sacrifice are you going to find for your sins? If you reject the one God provided, there's no other. And if you go on sinning deliberately, rejecting that sacrifice, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, Hebrews 10, 26. He goes on a little later to help us know what he means. He gives us a comparison from people who rejected the law of Moses, Hebrews 10, 28. He says, for example, my words, quote, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses. See, that's what these people are doing. They're setting aside Christ. They're setting aside the gospel. They're hardening their hearts against the Savior they once called upon. And, and, and the author of Hebrews, I almost said Paul. The author of Hebrews says, look, let me give you an example of how this worked in the Old Testament. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, like there's no second chance for them. Now, verse 29 of Hebrews 10, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one, and now here's the person he's talking about, in our day, this can happen, the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. They've taken Jesus, the Jesus upon whom they once called, in whom they once believed, after whom they once followed. They've thrown him on the ground, and they've trampled him underfoot. That's what they've done. And they have profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. By which they were sanctified. Remember that word has a general broad meaning. They were set apart. They seemed to be Christians. They were set apart from the world. They were set apart from apostate Judaism. They were sanctified. But now they have profaned the blood of the covenant. What does that mean? Jesus' blood is just blood, man. There's no redemption in it. He's a dead rabbi. It's just common blood plain old human blood. That's what they've done. And they've outraged the spirit of grace, the spirit who gave them all of that illumination. Why is it that you can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme the Son, you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and go to heaven? Because it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you understanding. And if you're blaspheming him as he's beaming light into your soul, 
man, you're really lost. And there's nothing else we can turn to to draw you in. It goes on, verse 30, For we know him who said, quote, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, end quote, Old Testament quote. And again, quote, The Lord will judge his people, Old Testament quote. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Hebrews 10 talks about this same kind of thing. First John, there's a sin that's unto death. I'm not saying you ought to pray for that guy. Jesus with the scribes and Pharisees, Holy Spirit beaming light into their eyes, and all they can think of is, I hate this so bad, I'm going to blame it on the devil. They're malicious against bright light and illumination. Hebrews 10, we're like people who set aside the law of Moses. This is somebody who tramples underfoot the Son of God, counts his blood as common, profanes, outrages the spirit of grace. Man, there's just no expectation for them but God's judgment. He comes up to it again in Hebrews chapter 6. Can you hang with me for a little more? Hebrews chapter 6 talks about this same thing. Verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. And this, going on to maturity, and this we will do, listen to this, if God permits. What do you mean, if God permits? Wouldn't God always gladly permit anybody to go on to maturity? Wouldn't God say, great, they're going on to maturity? No, the author says, we'll go on to maturity if God permits. Huh. Well, who might he not permit? And in what circumstances might he not permit them? Verse 4, for it is impossible No possibility. Can't be done. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Man, they had Holy Spirit light beaming their way, just shining into their eyes. And they have tasted of the heavenly gift. I mean, they were around the people of God and the gatherings of their people and the worship and lifting up of prayers and the preaching of Scripture. They've, they've tasted. They didn't ingest. They didn't swallow. But they tasted the heavenly gift, the gospel. And they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't have to mean they received the Holy Spirit and somehow later they're going to lose him. No, not at all. They've shared in the presence of the Holy Spirit, his ministry among the people of God, his beaming and illuminating light in the assembly and so on. And they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Again, they only tasted, but they've tasted it, but they spit it out later. And have tasted the goodness of God, of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's impossible for those who have had all that and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible to get those people back. Why? Well, what could possibly bring them back? They had the most massive Holy Spirit illumination, the blessings of everything in the kingdom of God and the word of God and the people of God, and they all maliciously turned against it, trampled the Son of God underfoot counted his blood as common. How do you get those people back? Since, verse 6, they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. See, that's what they're doing. They're saying, you know what? 
I reject Christ. Let's hang him on the cross. That's malicious. They're holding him up to contempt. They're like the people who stood before Jesus on the cross. They said, you who would destroy the temple and build it up again in three days, save yourself. Come down off the cross. They just mocked him, wagged their tails, their faces at him, their tongues at him. They held him up to contempt. And then the author of Hebrews gives us a little more. Hang with me. Verses 7 and 8. He says, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about, just to be sure you're getting it. He says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, that land receives a blessing from God. So I'm talking about there are some people who are that land. They've received the powers of the age to come. They've been among the people of God. They've heard the gospel, and their good soil hearts received it. And there's been a a crop springing up to the glory of God. They receive blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, remember that soil? Bears thorns and thistles? It is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, I'm about to utter some terrible words. They're terrifying. They're terrifying to me because one of my kids isn't in Christ. But I've heard it said, I believe it was a Puritan who preached this, and he said, one of the worst places from which to launch into eternity without Christ is from a God-fearing Christian family and a gospel-preaching church. If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is the unpardonable sin. So all that in Hebrews was to say, look, I don't think the possibility of committing the unpardonable sin is limited to people who are there with Jesus, God in the flesh, and they blasphemed him, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and they blamed it all on the devil. I think the book of Hebrews, chapters 6 and 10, also show us that, no, this is a thing that's ongoing. And I first, I think 1 John 5 also shows us people in our day, even when Christ is not visibly, physically here, can commit this unpardonable sin. So let me read this text again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, go ahead and pray for that guy, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. But there is, however, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. There is sin that does not lead to death. This is about the unpardonable sin. This is against what Jesus called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This is receiving unbelievable light by God's grace and maliciously rejecting that kind of bright, bright illumination, trampling Christ underfoot. Now, by the way, we're almost done. This connects to something else that came up in conversation at Cornerstone Church before or after church one day recently, and that is somebody asked me, and I've been asked this several times just recently, what if someone professing, saving faith in Jesus Christ, so let's call them a believer, what if a believer gets into a really dark place into a really bad bad place, and ends up taking their own life. Now, that would be tragic. We can all feel the tragedy of that. The question is, would they go to heaven or would they go to hell? The questioner is really asking, uh, is suicide an unpardonable sin? And I believe the clear answer of God's word is, well, no. The unpardonable sin is the one Jesus talked about and 1 John talks about and Hebrews talks about, but the Bible nowhere says, oh, and by the way, there's another one, that's suicide. 
No, suicide is a sin, let's be clear. It is self-murder, and the Bible forbids murder. But it's not like it's not like you're responsible to save yourself by not sinning. It's not like you, you have to live holy and never commit a sin and then die that way, and then you'll go to heaven. No, we all die with sins that we have committed, and suicide is one of those. And a Christian can get in such a dark and bad place that they could actually wind up taking their own life. So suicide is not the sin unto death. Suicide is not the one that John says, don't pray for. Suicide is a very sad thing for which we would grieve. But if it's a brother or sister in Christ, we'll see them with joy in glory. This has been about the sin that is unto death. Ginormous exposure to saving light, believing it or not, and turning away from it with malice. So please don't commit the unpardonable sin. Has God given you light? Have you been blessed to know the gospel, to hear the word of God, to be exposed to the moving of the Holy Spirit, felt his power in your soul, but yet said no? Well, please don't do that. Soften your heart. Turn to the Lord Jesus. And have you turned to the Lord Jesus? Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Stay in Christ till the last day. Thanks for listening to Grounded today. We come out on all the major platforms twice a month. Look forward to seeing you next time.